0: Why don't we begin by by thinking what it would be like if we were all to take a trip together. I know summer's over, I know Labor Day vacations are behind us, but if we were to all go on a trip together, now of course we'd need to have a large vessel and and able to be able to do that together, either a, a bus or something, but I thought maybe a cruise ship might be a fun way for us as a church family to travel together. I'm pretty sure that this cruise ship could hold all of us, wouldn't you think? And, uh, you know, we look at it and we think, "Wow, oh, you know, these things are pretty amazing. You know, they, may, maybe they have a theater in them. There's a lot of entertainment. Uh, some of them have like water slides on the top. I think this one, I think, has pools on it. And um, I saw some pictures of go-kart tracks on yeah, yeah, right, on cruise ships. And uh, I've heard that there's all kinds of food, and probably the only concern really is COVID, right? I mean, you know, what are you going to do about it? I mean, uh, you hear about the situation of COVID on cruise ships, but, but that might be one way we could travel together, right? Well, let me give you another picture. What if instead of a cruise ship, we decided to take a, uh, a battleship? Now, let me just state the obvious, that would be a much different experience, wouldn't it? And rather than thinking about our comforts and our entertainment, we would be thinking about what? The job that we have to do, right? I mean, uh, on one, it's, it's entertainment, it's pleasure. The other, this is like we're on mission together, right? We've got an assignment We each have a a role, a responsibility to make sure that the mission can be moving forward. I give that illustration to you. I know it may break down in many, many cases, but but think about the difference. How does the American church get perceived today? Are people picking a church, are people involved in a church more with the perspective of a cruise ship or a battleship? Think about that as we move in to our message today. I'm beginning a new series, five weeks, a series on the church, uh, a series that I think corresponds to what we've been looking at all summer. We've been looking at tough questions. We've been looking at topics that, that, uh, that we've raised, and, and, and we've looked to God's Word for guidance. And, and throughout, I think we have seen that, that we have a role to play that that for us to, to not just bury our head in the sand, if you will, on these kinds of, 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 of issues that are in our culture, but instead to stand up and and and, and to, to hold God's word up to each of these subjects and questions and say, here's the truth. This is the truth. Now we may have to stand firm, and in some cases we may stand alone. But yet, we see that we have a role to hold up the truth of God's Word. It's timeless. It's timeless, and it's a truth for every generation for all times, and that's part of our role. I think we've also seen, as we've looked at a number of these topics, that we also are called to exhibit compassion and care. To, to, to be a, a, a body that is concerned about people and where they're at and what they're going through as we, we recognize it's a broken world and there's a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos that God has placed us as a church to be able to hold up His word. So as we as we think about this, we, uh, I, I think we will see for the, these reasons and many more that the church, is indeed essential. It's part of God's design. It's His plan for offering hope to our world. And as we move through the series, I I think we're going to be looking at many different aspects of the church. But next week may be one of the more important messages of the series. Because I'm going to be sharing some things that I think might be overlooked in many ways today. As we think about who we are in Christ... We think about our identity in Christ, our identity in the church, and the corresponding responsibilities that flow out of our identity. And just think for a moment. You may, you may have an identity as a, as a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a child or a student or a worker. Or, you know Your identity, you may have a lot of hats that you wear, but out of each one of those, there are corresponding Responsibilities that connect to your identity. And so we're going to be taking a a good look at that over the next couple of weeks. I think as we come out of the series, we're going to have a renewed understanding of just how important the church is in today's world, and that we will see that the church is the primary instrument to fulfill God's mission on earth. And so He has a mission, He has a plan, He has a way in which He is wanting to give hope to this world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and again it's through his body through his people through his church that his work will be accomplished and i just want to say that for for me on a personal level how grateful i am to have an opportunity to be a part of the church to be able to serve the church in fact i was thinking this last week i uh, you know i started serving my first role in a local church was in 1991 when I was in college. Uh, I served in, in capacities, internships, you know, serving in student ministry, college ministry, these kinds of things, all the way into seminary. And then in, uh, for about five years, I did that. And then in 1996, as I was finishing seminary, I was called to the, my first full-time uh, role, uh, serving as an associate pastor in St. Joseph, Missouri. And man, does time fly. I mean, September of 96, it'll be this week, 25 years that I've been serving full-time. And here I am, now able to, to serve this congregation. Uh, the, the opportunity to serve Fellowship of Wildwood... And uh, to, to see how God has worked and thinking about our, our history. Of course, you know, sometimes we think about the history going back to 2017 when we became Fellowship of Wildwood. But our, our history as a church goes back so much further, back to, to 1959. And uh, to see that, that here we are today and the Lord still has a, a plan and a purpose. He has a role for this church in this community today. And I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to serve this church family in this time. I don't take it for granted. The blessing that it is for me. Thank you. The the blessing it is for me and for, for our family. It really is an honor. And I look forward to continuing to see what God has in store for us. Now, we know when we think of church, we can think of the, the, the capital C church, right? The, the church, the body of Christ at any location throughout all ages is the church universal. But then we look and see that there is this local church. And we look through the New Testament and we see many of the, the, these local churches were identified. Letters were written to them. And, and here we are today in 2021. We are a local church, a family of believers knit together a variety of backgrounds and experiences and spiritual gifts, and yet we're brought together on mission. He has a role. He has a purpose. And some of that has to do with how we care for one another, how we encourage and uphold those that are are right here in this room. But there's also that that, that mission that takes us outside these four walls. And so in the message this morning, I'm going to share some of what's been happening behind the scenes. We've been working on a, on a strategic plan uh, for a few years, and we've, we've shared a little bit uh, with you off and on, and, and I'm going to share more today. I'm going to try to weave it in to a message uh, that, is, uh, that is really about how Christ builds the church. And I think it's important for us to remember, Christ established the church. He founded the church. He is the Lord of the church. This church... Us, we belong to Him. And so we want Him to be at work. We want Him to guide us. We want Him to, 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 to strengthen and, and, and give the, the energy that is needed to fulfill the role that He has for us. So before I, I seek to integrate a little bit of the, the strategic plan thinking into, uh, into this message, I want to lay the framework that it is the Lord who builds the church. In fact, I'm, I'm reminded of what He said In Matthew chapter 16, he asked a question that I think may be the most important question that could be asked. Listen to what he says. It says, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Think about that question for a minute. If you were to have a conversation with someone today, And they were asking you, well, well, to you, who is Jesus? How would you answer that? What would be your response? Because, Because how we answer that question really gives insight into how we have responded to Christ. Whether we understand who He is and why He came, and in light of who He is, who we are and why we need him. We've sung a lot about that today on 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 why we have come to him, what he has done in order to provide salvation for us. But I I give you that question because there could be some here today that would struggle with the answer. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? That may be something worth exploring more for some of us to get a grasp on what the answer is and how to respond. But Again, the disciples were asked, and Simon Peter gave the answer, speaking of him being the Messiah. This means a rescuer, a deliverer. And this is what was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus came, and Simon Peter saying, you are the one. You're the one that has been promised from from ages past. You are the rescuer, the deliverer, the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Even seeing the divine nature there in Jesus. And Jesus took those words, and look what he said in verse 18. He said, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's a strong statement. Jesus is saying, just to be clear, it's the confession, right? The confession that Peter made, that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. Jesus said, on that confession, that's the rock that I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the, 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 the church at times may be persecuted. The church at times may, may be out of vogue in particular seasons or ages. That's to be expected because the church is part of the narrow road. And yet we see that it is Christ who builds it and Christ who preserves it. Very, very important question personally but also for us to consider as a congregation that it is Christ who builds his church. Let me give you another verse to consider. And this is one out of Acts chapter 20. It's really given to, to church leaders. But notice how the church is described at the end of the verse. To the leaders, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And when I think of the church, there's a lot of verses that could come to mind. But this is one that that comes to mind frequently. Because if you ever want to ask yourself, is the church important? Just just be reminded of the end of this verse. That Jesus laid down his life. That he purchased the church with his own blood blood. So as you look around the room, you look to the left and the right, you see other people who are part of the church whom Christ gave his life for. So if we ask, is the church essential? You bet it is. Is the church valuable? Yes. The church, the people have great value because of what Christ has done for them. You and I are part of this body. Let's look at one more passage, Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, this is another passage that really shows the emphasis that Christ is at work in the church, that he is building, he is developing, he is growing the church. Look down at verse 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Now, before we we look at all of the cases here where it speaks of building and built up and growing. do you see in these verses a Trinitarian definition of the church? What do I mean by that? Do you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? look at look at how it's describing God. It, it says there in uh, in ver- at the end of verse nineteen that we are members of God's household. We use the phrase sometimes the family of God, that when we are, we are brought into His family, He is our Father. And we look around, and, and, and what we see around us are brothers and sisters in Christ, right here in our church. And actually throughout all of the, uh, the, the churches in this world, they are brothers and sisters. We are part of God's family. That's God the Father. What about God the Son? What do you see there at the end of verse 20? says that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of, of the church. So, so it's built upon him, and, and we see his activity there. But then we also see the Spirit. Look at the end of verse 22. It speaks of the fact that, that we are a temple, a holy temple, but not a temple like it was in the Old Testament. Not like a temple of the old covenant where there was one location, one temple, one place where the the Holy Spirit dwelt and gave evidence of his presence. No, it's different now. In the new covenant, now his temple is the church. And his church, listen to me, is not a building. His church is a people. It's now considered his family. And the dwelling place is within you and me that we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so so I just thought it was interesting to see how the church is uniquely connected to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But think again of this idea of being built up. You see the, the phrase used there in verse 20. You see in verse 21, it's saying the whole building, using this analogy as if the church is a building, being put together. Then it, it it says you in verse twenty two you are also being built together. So the idea that God's at work and that He's at work in our lives individually that 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 He's also involved in our in the corporate church family. I mean, think about it. Would would we expect that the that the body of Christ would just be stagnant? That it would just be that it would just stop growing? That it would just be? Be in a in this in this uh, f- state of mind or framework where it's not it's not growing it's not moving it's not it's not changing. We understand that even as followers of Christ, we are called to mature. We're called to grow. We're called to learn more. We're called to be involved at different levels at different times. And so we also see that that Christ will build His church. And so I, I say all of that. Because as I I try to weave in a little bit of this idea of a strategic plan, I want to be very clear. We, as humans, don't build the church. He is the head. He has established it. He purchased it with his own blood, and now he's building it. But then we might ask, well, as he builds it, does that mean we shouldn't make plans? Well, I, I think that God is at work as we make plans just as we, as we plan to, to be good stewards of the resources he's given us. I mean, aren't you glad that the church has a budget? I mean, that we, that we budget the, 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 the monies that are given and that there's accountability and how those, those, those funds are utilized, that there's reports and, and so forth. I mean, that's a plan, isn't it? Well, we should have a plan as well for looking at what's ahead, that we don't want to be stagnant. We want to be looking and identifying, well, where is it that we want to go? Where do we believe God's leading us? And if he's leading us there, what do we need to do that will get us there? That's what a strategic plan is all about. Helps us to look forward. It's related to vision. I like the definition of vision that says it's a compelling image of an achievable future. And each one of us has a vision. Maybe you can look back at different seasons of your life and you say, hey, I went, I went to, to, to this type of training or this type of, of, of degree because I had a vision for this type of employment or job. Or I have a vision uh, to, 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 uh, to have a family. Or I have a vision to be a part of, 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 of a particular ministry. And you see that there are steps that help achieve a vision. So we each have that. But when we speak of a, of a vision for the church, it's like collectively, where do we believe that God is taking us? What's next? And so I think it's exciting, not that we can predict the future or know all that's going to happen. And, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll share that in just a minute. But nonetheless, I believe that God is in the planning process and that he gives us wisdom and he gives us desires. He helps us to, to see things so that we don't become stagnant but that we continue to move forward. The strategic plan is meant to be a roadmap, to take us, take us there, take us to that vision by turning goals into action. And so I'm excited to get to share a bit of an update with you. We have been working, like I said, behind the scenes on the strategic plan process. I've mentioned it some before, um, but it was at the uh, end of our merger, you know, the years 2017, 2018, a lot of change, a lot of things that we had to figure out, two churches coming together as one, new name, new identity, new, new, a, a lot of things that were new. And yet by 2019, the elders of the church said, you know, it's, it's time for us to, to begin looking forward to begin establishing a strategic plan. And so so we had uh, one of our church members, Lance Leonard, he actually does this type of strategic planning uh, uh, as as part of his job. And so he came in and gave us some pointers, gave us some uh, some help in understanding how, how this works. Uh, and after meeting with the elders, then he brought the entire church staff together. and we all, we all worked with him on saying, well, what would be the steps to be able to understand the vision and the mission, but then ultimately have this strategy to follow it, these, these steps to help us achieve it? And so we began by looking at our vision statement. You may remember that we had a four-paragraph vision narrative that was quite lengthy, and so we decided to, to summarize that. And so we have a, a, an abbreviated vision statement and a mission statement. And by the way, I'm going to give all this to you. It's going to come to you on Friday. If you receive the fellowship news, we're going to put a, a PDF attachment, so you don't need to try to worry about writing all this down. And by the way, if you don't receive the fellowship news, on Fridays we send that out. And it has a lot of information. And so go to the church website. You can subscribe. And uh, we'll also try to make some copies available for those that, that may not be able to get it online. Um, but we have a vision statement, and it's founded upon uh, the desire to make disciples. That we, every member of the church, is to, to understand and participate in the mission to share the gospel. That, that we are, we are a, a church that is on mission, that we have a message to share. The second part of it says that we want to be a, an authentic church, a multiplying church. And by God's grace, we've been able to see that over the last year. Seeing a church planted on the campus of Missouri Baptist University, it's been clearly God's work, His timing. But we want that to be one of many examples of times where we can participate in multiplying churches. We want to celebrate our unity in Christ while embracing our differences. We want to rely on Jesus, be empowered by His Spirit. And we want to worship, grow, serve, and go to advance the kingdom among our neighbors and nations. For the glory of God. We're on mission. That's okay. You can, you can affirm that. There's a reason why God's placed us together, and we believe that that encapsulates. We have a mission to see lives restored. That's what the gospel is, is to restore broken lives, to, 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 to bring salvation, the good news of the gospel. As we worship, grow serve and go. I know you probably remember those words. You've seen them often uh, on the screen and in different occasions. Those are like the anchor words of our, of, of our church. We worship, we grow, we serve, and then we added the word go as well. Um, now, back in, uh, 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 in the days that the church staff was getting together and thinking about this, we also realized it would be good to come up with a list of core values. Uh, things out of God's Word that, that, really, that really are the core of who we are as the church. Let me just briefly say, the first one is biblical truth. We're committed to the authority of God's Word. It's a timeless book. It's God's Word for us throughout all ages. And so that clearly was something that was our foundation for the summer months, right? I mean, as we look at, at different topics around us, we say the Bible is the truth. Secondly, we say that we come together to exalt Jesus, it's about worshiping Him, not only through, through gathering together and, and, and singing and, and praying, but also as we live our lives each day, we, we glorify Him, we exalt Him. We believe in spiritual maturity, that there is, there is to be a, a way in which we grow in Christ, that we, that we develop our faith, that we mature as a body. We're called to love one another. And we're going to spend some time looking at this in the, in the coming weeks. That's one of the greatest apologetics that we have for a watching world is the way that we treat one another. The way that we love and care one, for one another. In fact, that's what Jesus prayed for, for his church. Ministry mobilization. This is the idea that, that we are all mobilized for ministry. We're all gifted. We all have a role to participate in the mission. And then, of course, gospel proclamation, that we know that, that this is something that we are called to do. It's something that, uh, that this world needs, is to hear the good news, and we need to be proclaiming it locally and beyond. But yet, it's one thing to have all of these ideas. Everything that I've said, for the most part, could be viewed as theoretical, right? Until we really see these things happening where, where we, we are experiencing it, where we are doing it. And, and obviously, you could say, well, we are. There, there, there's lots of elements here where we are. But what does it look like when we say, let's find some objectives to focus on? Where do we see some weaknesses or some needs that need to be addressed, needs to be further resourced? Something that we can focus on to make sure that we are, that we are strengthening it because it's so important. We're going to place some emphasis here. Or maybe where do we see God working that we didn't see before and we need to get behind that and, again, place resources so that we can be faithful? That's what these questions are that lead us to the, to the strategy. Again, these questions help us align strategy to vision. How do we accomplish the vision strategically? And so the staff began to look at all kinds of objectives. You know, and you, you might imagine just lots and lots of things. This is important. This is important. We need to focus on this. What about this? And so we had all this, these lists, but then we had to prioritize them. And, and when I say priority, I don't mean necessarily this is more important than that. But in terms of priority of time, like right now, this, this needs to happen next, Because until this happens, it's going to be hard for some of these other objectives to happen. So it's like a sequencing process that we went through. Now, we did this on a staff retreat. Let me give you the dates. March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 2020. Yeah, March 1st through 3rd of 2020. We developed it. We came back ready to give it to the church Man, we had a whole timeline of who's going to hear it when, and we're going to work all the way through. Little did we know we were going to be shutting the church down for three months. Right, uh, March of 2020. So, to state the obvious, everything was put on hold. And in March of 2021, this last March, we 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 circled back up and said, "Okay, let's let's pick it back up. Let's see where we were." And clearly, we had to make some changes. I mean, the world had changed, the church had changed, needs had changed. And so we began reworking these objectives and and working through that process. By June, we were able to share this in an extended meeting with church leaders. We had deacons. We had small group leaders, uh, people that served on different teams and committees. They came together, and we shared this. And now I'm sharing it with you because you're going to be hearing and seeing more of this. You may find areas that you personally want to be a part of, and I ask you to pray. Because again, if we believe that God established the church and built the church and empowers the church by His Spirit, we want to go as He leads us. And so you might be asking, well, what are the objectives? Well, here's a chart that you can see that uh, that shows the top objective is a foundation of prayer. And we don't want to go out in front of God. And so this prayer objective is one really that serves two purposes. The first is we realized that we need to be a people of prayer. We need to spend more time praying. We need to, we need to spend more time learning about prayer. We need to have opportunities where we are praying together on a Sunday morning, but maybe even some other uh, other occasions. And so, so we assembled a team. Each one of these objectives, the top five, they're the, where we're starting. We started with the prayer objective. Next This fall, we're going to be looking at phase one. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But over the summer months, we had a team of lay, uh, lay members, church members, and staff members work together and meet each week and prayerfully consider, Lord, how can we become a stronger praying church? And these prayer warriors and intercessors, they began praying, and we had long meetings week after week after week. And finally, this group said, here are six ways, six strategic steps that we as a church could take in order to become more of a a praying church. And so it it was a fantastic group to be a part of. But the second reason we wanted prayer to be at the beginning was we want that to be leading the rest of this process. We want to be praying about these objectives. We want God to continue to guide us. We don't want to just think that we have all the answers and that we can just do it on our own. So let me briefly just say, phase one are these four objectives. And we will have a team that's meeting independently on each of these four. And they will meet through the fall months. And eventually, they will give some action items to be added to the ones that the prayer team gave us. And that will be a strategic plan. And for some of these, it'll mean this is what we're going to do right now. This is what we're going to do in the next year. This is, this is really more of a three-year goal or a five-year goal. But what, it, what the intent is, is the intent of momentum, the intent of growing, pursuing what, God, what we believe God has put in front of us. We want to be strategic with our resources, with this facility, with our staff, with our church family. We want to be strategic. And so, you know, you can see that phase one for the fall, will have a team working on gathered worship and online worship. Let me just say, that's one that had to be adjusted. We did not have online worship until the middle of March 2020. That wasn't in the original plan. But now we ask, what can we do for our worship services and for the online worship experience? What can we do to make it as effective as it possibly can be? Where are some of the needs? What are some, some things that aren't working well? Where are some opportunities? So this team is going to be doing this over the fall. We've got another team that's going to be working about uh, and thinking about small groups. One of the, that's the lifeblood of the church. That's where, that's where we really build relationships. That's where ma- maturity and growth happens in these, in these small groups. But if you've walked around the campus on a Sunday morning, you may have noticed, we don't really have too many more rooms available for small groups. And so this team's going to be tasked. How do we do it? How do we organize? How do we continue to see groups that will multiply and to see leaders developed? The next group's going to be thinking about church ministry alignment. And this will be an important one because we need to have a process. How do we we make sure that our ministries are really aligned to the vision? And what do we do if we have a ministry that's not? How do we we determine what to do with that? And how do our ministries work together uh, uh, cohesively? The next group will be the evangelism and local community objective. How do we make sure that we really are working and serving our community? And there are opportunities. You've already heard about, you know, helping with the uh, circle of concern. Uh, we worked in the summer of providing school supplies. But how do, we, how do we do more? How do we find more evangelistic opportunities right here? How do we do that? How do we understand the demographics of our community? What might that story tell us? about what some of the needs are. So we need a group that can just really dig in on that and then give us some some items. So again, each group will meet. They'll come back with suggestions. And and I know what you're thinking. Wow, this is going to be overwhelming. Well, that's the point. We can't do all of it at once, right? But we can find a few things that get us started. And we'll sequence them out, and you will begin to hear of things that we will be involved in. Now, we've got some other uh, uh, subsequent phases. We have other objectives, Membership, church membership. We can look at the leadership pipeline. We many of us are thinking we need a care and counseling ministry. I mean, just think about about the brokenness of this world and, and 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 we've got neighbors and friends that are suffering and hurting. You know, what could we do to provide care and counsel? So that'll be that'll be another one. So anyway, we'll be looking at all of these. But as we think about Christ building his church, can I ask you, wouldn't we expect to see momentum and progress? And if Christ says, I will build my church, don't we, I mean, isn't this, aren't these things that we would expect to see happening? That we are going to have movement, progress, growth, development, as opposed to stagnation? So that's what we're going to be doing. As we think about the word church, it really means those who have been called out, assembled, gathered. And and what's interesting about that word is it means that we've been called around an idea. It wasn't really a Christian word when it was first used. It just meant a group of people that were called together. They assemble around an idea. That's what we have become. We have assembled around the idea that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the hope of the world. We've been called together and assembled. But yet, over the years, particularly after the Roman Empire decided that Christianity could be legal. I think it was under the days of Diocletian that that the church was given a lot of civil responsibilities. Let me just say it this way. The church began providing services. And not bad, not bad services, but what happened is a mindset changed. And rather than viewing the church as a people who are gathered and assembled, it became a building that you go to for services. And in fact, the word church that we use comes from a German word, I mean, uh, uh, kirsé, sometimes we say kirk, kirsé, which is defined as a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. And so the shift in thinking was that rather than the church being a people, the church became a building. And I think for us today, we need to look back in the history and see that God brought about a change. He, he brought about a reformation, a renewal, so that people could understand biblically what the church was to be about. And reformers like, like William Tyndale, he said the, the, Bible, uh, the Bible speaks of the, the church being a people who are, who are on mission. And so one of his greatest contributions was, was working in translation to provide a Bible in the English language. And every time he translated the word ecclesia, he didn't put the word church in. He put the word congregation in. And he was communicating the church is a people, it's not an institution. Well, because of the way the institution had grown, and because of some very powerful people that that had some self-serving ideas about the power of the church, they didn't like what Tyndale had to say. And they you can read about it, they labeled him as as a heretic. And they burned him at the stake. All because he wanted the Bible in the English language. And he wanted people to realize that they are a part of a greater mission. A people, not an institution. Let me ask you this. Do you think Tyndale thought of the church as a cruise ship or a battleship? You see, he he saw it as a people who were on mission. A movement that's moving. And the danger of the church in every age is to cease being a mission and to instead just see itself as an institution. Just provide a few services and just move on, rather than being on mission together. But if we are a mission, if we are in motion, we are a movement that is moving. And so as we begin this series, let me ask you a couple questions. As a church, are we maintaining an institution? Or are we participating in a mission together. What kind of church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a church that's on mission, that's that's, that's moving forward, that's, that's taking the good news of the gospel to hearts and minds that need it? As an individual, is church something you attend or is it a mission you are participating in? As I said, we're going to be looking at that. There's going to be, I, I, I think, for some of us, a bit of an awakening to see how very important our personal role is in the church as we see our identity and our corresponding responsibilities. Well, as I wrap up, I want us to remember that we are part of something special. I don't want us to get buried into the language of a strategic plan where it feels like a business presentation. Instead, I want us to see, yes, God is using that as a way to remind us that, yes, the church is important, that, yes, it's vital, that Jesus himself established the church, that he died for the church, that he is the head of the church, that he is building his church, and that he has a plan for using it all the way up until the day in which he returns. And ultimately, it is Christ who is glorified in the church. Let me close with a passage from Ephesians 3. In fact, why don't we stand together as I read Ephesians 3. I think this is a verse that in many ways should be a commitment that we make as we think about who we are. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think According to the power that works in us, to him be glory. Where? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. That you've called us to be in your family. We thank you that you established even this local church that we may gather together, that we may benefit from the bonds of fellowship and support and encouragement. We thank you for our church family and for the common call, the calling that you've given to us, a vital mission Lord, we pray that we could be found faithful. Lord, help us to not be apathetic. Help us not to just be satisfied with the status quo. But Lord, may we lean in. May we look to you and ask, where are you guiding? Where are you building? What are you wanting to do in us and through us? Father, I pray for anyone here today that has not yet placed their faith in you, That when they hear that question, who do you say that I am? They're struggling. God, may you help them. May you help them to understand your identity and how they can know you today. And Lord, may we as a church have a message. A message to a world in chaos and confusion. A world that's not ready for eternity. God, may we be on mission. Empowered by your spirit and standing firm on the truth of your word. God, may you apply these words now. May you use them to further your purpose. And in the church, may you be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people say, amen.